Andy Fenton. Evening all. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Just pouring a nice uh, nice glass of wine. Hopefully uh, we'll get a few people join us this afternoon for a Wednesday wine and wisdom. Cheers. Cheers, mate. I'm uh, I'm just over here cracking a, uh, a beautiful little Grenache from our mates uh, down at Vineyard, mates, Trina and Brett Thompson. They're probably not on yet, but I've got the old Bethany here, the Bethany, Bethany Hill. Grenache. You've got the uh, you've got the Shiraz. I got the Shiraz out. Bit of a shout out, like you said, Bethany Hill and uh, Vineyard mates, our uh, our good friends, Trina and Brett. Thank you. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll see them around shortly. They were a part of a, a a wonderful conference that you and I have just been attending over the last uh, five days that we had the uh, the privilege of being able to present at as well, which was uh, which was great fun uh, amongst some. Some finance greats in the in the industry. There was little old you and little old me out there, which was uh, which was a lot of fun, mate. Well, I think we held our own, mate. Uh, well, we had a lot of fun, that's for sure. So uh, that that's uh, that's certainly a big tick in the box for us, mate. So uh, it was awesome to hang out with you, and awesome to hang out with all of um, all of the K tours as well. So hopefully, um, a few of them will be jumping on today. So. I see about uh, you know ten or fifteen in there in the in the chat right now or in the in the stream right now. So give us a shout out, gang. Where you're from? Who's dialing in today? Uh, it'd be great to see. We uh, we've changed it to Wednesday afternoons. A lot of people used to like what well wealth, wine, and wisdom on a Friday, which actually we did too, but it did have some clashes with some other commitments we had. So we've changed it to a Wednesday. Hopefully it works for you guys. It's certainly working for us. Um, so as we oh. They're, uh, uh, they're, uh, oh, you got a little old, little old Adelaide from, from someone there. We do have, I think there's a little chat in here, Andy, to, um, put in the chat, I think, or, or in some way, shape or form, uh, for you guys who are inside our Facebook groups, uh, the private groups, if you click on that link, it allows us to see your user handle gang, um, as you uh, put in the comments, so supposedly that's what that's what uh, Restream has told us to do. So uh, check out that, see if that works for you. But uh, fingers crossed, we can uh, see who's putting in those comments. So hey, welcome everybody. Good to see a few people jumping on right now, which is awesome. And um, a few people saying hello. There's Julie, Northeast Victoria, just up the road from Brown Brothers. Oh, yeah, nice little spot. There you go, beautiful. Great, Fantastic. beautiful part of the world. Not too far from me. Not too far to go to uh, to visit the beautiful area. It's absolutely amazing. And good old Brother Glenn doing a, a pretty smashing tokay down there. So uh, it's been a long time before I've, uh, since I've been down there, but maybe I'll have to get back up there at some point. And, uh, and Jeff's in here. G'day, Jeff, mate. Uh, good to chat with you today. Uh, oh, mate, appreciate the uh, the fine words there. But, uh, mate, it was a, a good chat with Jeff today and uh, just talking properties and super and all of those sorts of things and uh, just unravelling some of the, the complexities that sit in there. But good to see you on the, on the call. And, Megan, good to see you guys. Totally. Well, while, uh, while we're, while we're uh, warming up right here, Andy, I'll do the quick intros for those who are joining us for the first time. Welcome along for those coming back. Thanks for joining us. Andy and I have been uh, – this is our 42nd episode of the Wealth, Wine and Wisdom show. We get together um, regularly, have been doing since COVID hit to support our communities uh, in the world of property, in the world of financial planning, in the world of finance, in the world of organising your financial future and uh, helping you navigate through some of the most testing times we've seen in our careers, certainly, or at least right up there. And um, COVID sort of landed for a lot of us and it was a little bit confusing, but uh, hopefully the value we've been able to add in these chats and others, the one-on-ones and also the Facebook lives have been useful for everybody. So yeah, we're, uh, we're uh, enjoying ourselves and uh, welcome back those who are coming back and welcome to those who are new. Andy, 20 years in his world in finance and, and shares and myself, 20-plus years in the world of property. So um, usually we have three parts to the Wednesday Wealth, Wine and Wisdom Now, gang. We have what's in the news. We have 
uh, what you should know. And we do. Do you have any questions? So while we're going to do a little bit of what's in the news, I want you guys to have a bit of a think about uh, are there any questions that you might want us to maybe touch on or answer over this next sort of 30 minutes to an hour? It just depends on um, how much uh, engagement we get and what we've got to say today. But uh, if you've got any questions, start thinking about those and chuck them in the chat for us so we can start to formulate some ideas of what we could share with you guys uh, also. So, Andy, um, I thought we'd sort of kick off with you as we always do in the world of what's in the news, my friend. What's going on out there in the world that uh, you think is important for us to have a bit of a look at? Well, mate, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of competitions and, and watching what's going on in the world of competitions. And so I, I thought I'd uh, pull an old uh, sporting analogy out and uh, oh, hang on. Are we? Where did you go, Andy? You disappeared. I've disappeared. <laughs> I've disappeared. It's been too long since I've been here. Um, and it looks like I'm, uh, I'm a little bit out of the shot there. Maybe I'll come down to the bottom. Oh, and then I, I just have to get my head above there, don't I? It's, well, let's uh, see if I can do that. Is that working? No. No, mate, let me, uh, let me just do one thing. We are absolutely 100% resourceful, but sometimes here we go. Boom. Oh, now, love it. All right, we'll, we'll go back to this then. Uh, can you put yourself at the top, Andy, rather than the bottom in picture and picture? There we go. Oh, hello. All right, we got it. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so given that that was such a slick intro to this, it's going to make it even better. Uh, so, but uh, I thought we'd uh, address some of the things that are in the news at the moment. And uh, as I said, I love a good race. So I thought I'd start it off with a question and and let's see whether any of you can actually answer this. There's a, there's a bottle of Bethany for anybody who actually gets it right. Currently, it's half finished. Or actually, not. It's only, it's only a quarter into the bottle. But, giving, away uh, the big, giving away the big prizes here, Andy. <laughs> yeah, mate. We, we don't stand on ceremony here. We get into it and we... Uh, and, we, you know, we, we don't waste anything. And these days, because it's a Wednesday, we only drink a, a quarter of the bottle. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah, I'll post it out to anybody if they get this. Uh, so what does Stephen and Bradbury and China have in common? Uh, whack it in the chat, chat box there, ladies and gents, and see whether anybody knows. Because what's been in the news more recently, and uh, I'd be very surprised if anybody gets this, uh, is that it actually took them both 29, 29 years to win the race. And uh, they won by default. Good one, Jeff. Yes. Uh, it's actually quite true. Uh, That's actually true. That's thing. not a bad answer. I like that answer, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jeff may be the winner of a quarter of a bottle of wine after I get through this. Uh, they both have their own beer. Uh, that's true as well. Jeepers creepers. There's some great um, uh, general knowledge out there. But this is really, really interesting to me uh, in the world of economics. And uh, it's going to be quite, um, it's going to be quite important for us to understand this dynamic that's, that's playing forward uh, because of how we invest uh, and not just how we invest locally based on you know, the, the fact that China have been a major consumer of Australian uh, materials and resources for many, many years. Uh, but they're all, also how we invest in portfolios because, you know, we have a large weight of Australian equities in most super and, and, and direct investment portfolios, but generally the next largest weighting tends to be the US. And this race is now actually changing and you can see it a little bit in this, uh, in this graphic that I've given you. Can but you zoom in a little bit, Andy? The... It Oh, yeah, that, uh, I'll bring it down to here. So yep. uh, now this is from IMF, so uh, the International Monetary Fund. So a very, very reputable, probably one of the more most reputable. Uh, um, well, <laughs> in the in the statistics world, anyway. Uh, so China's economy economy might take over the US by 2028, two years earlier than expected. Uh, before the pandemic, according to some predictions. Still, there are no guarantees uh, and other experts warn that there's a mix of an ageing population and debt which will keep it confined to uh, second place. So there is an argument that's sitting there, but, uh, mate, all bets are on China at the moment. And as you can see, this race really only started in a big way back, uh, back in around about 2000 where it was 10% uh, of, G of the US GDP, 10%. Is that right? In the year 2000. That's why I say 28 years down the track, uh, it's gone from 10% to, uh, to potentially overtaking it. So mate, when you start to look at the world of investing and you start to think about, well, 
you know, how do we then how do we then play this? It's like, well, previously we've had a significant part of our funds actually sitting over in the US equities. So mm-hmm. one would think rationally, if they're about to take over as the superpower by 2028, should we be actually tilting our portfolios to be looking more at China? Now, that's not a recommendation, but it's certainly a consideration, in my opinion, because uh, there, there are lots of Chinese walls. Uh, pardon the pun, Jason. We, we need the old... <laughs> I got it. I don't know if I got... <laughs> the, wrong set, the wrong sound effect. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> Uh, so there, there are a few Chinese walls, but uh, and the the lack of transparency behind what actually goes on in China is a major risk and a major consideration. But you can't deny these facts that they they are fast creeping up. So I guess consideration number one that comes from what's in the news is, yeah. uh, and we'll jump into it later on, is you know should we be considering larger tilts in this in most portfolios? And to give you the red hot tip. Most portfolios only had direct exposure, have less than 2% exposure to uh, to keep out the rabbits, says Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have less than 2% of our wealth stored in there. And we'll go through it maybe next week or the week after, but the returns in China have been astronomical. They have been for some time. One of the fastest recoverers uh, from the pandemic. But let's just take a look at this. And I'm just going to jump down to the left-hand side of the screen because this is uh, visually depicted the Fortune 500 uh, companies global is now more Chinese than it is uh, US. So wow. uh, visually you can see here, and I don't I don't think I need to, uh, for those of you with a barcoding scanner, don't scan this. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you might end up with a virus. Uh, but effectively you can see here back in 2000 down the bottom, it's mostly grey and gaps. So the, the gaps are others, right? So the rest of the world. But it's mostly the US dominated. As we get up to 2020, you can see there in the orange, and one would have thought that it would have been red, Jason, given that's the uh, the, the lucky colour, but uh, it's orange um, and yeah. that's because it's, uh, it's, it's from the Fortune uh, Global 500 database. Uh, they're obviously got the orange light because they want it to slow down. I'm onto their subliminal programming. But... Uh-huh. Uh, but here, we literally, we're seeing now Chinese companies overtaking on the Fortune 500 global list. So they That's are charging phenomenal. forward at an absolute rate. It, so the list boasts 124 companies based in mainland China and Hong Kong uh, and 121 based in the US. So it is actually taken over by Fortune 500 companies, which wow. is absolutely incredible. There you go. But well, these- it was interesting, interesting, Andy. Uh, you and I, and I can't remember, I can't remember the the chap's name, but um, when you and I spent some time at one of our business conferences, maybe only six months ago, um, we had a guest speaker who was uh, an intelligence officer and uh, he'd done a lot of stuff around the world. But he mentioned this, you know, uh, the Chinese economy. Uh, well, the economies of the world. Uh, were directly correlated to populations, you know, many hundred years ago. So the biggest, the biggest economies in the world were where the biggest populations were, and that was China and many other locations over and above, you know, everywhere else for you know hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, really. And then all of a sudden, when along came the 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 uh, industrial age, a couple of the um, couple of the more industrialized nations got a bit of a handle on it right yes. and now the whole world is industrialized or have has access to the technology now again it's flipping back to the population right so um, I'm kind of you know uh, ad-libbing there a little bit but that was the gist of that conversation right so the population wins which makes sense because you know who's got the biggest population that's the GDP right Yep, absolutely. And what tends to happen as far as demographics and westernization, if you call it from one perspective, from yep. the Chinese, they would definitely call it industrialization or, uh, or, you know, more affluent mobilization. But, uh, so if you look at the China's trajectory, you know, they, and they, they have by far and away the biggest population in the world and demographics purely on a de- demographic basis, it should be that those who have the large, uh, largest population will, will win the game. Uh, but what needs to happen is that they do need to actually start to become more industrialized. So what we had is we had Chinese, 
uh, making widgets, right? And widgets went from widgets to uh, white goods. Uh, and then they went from white goods to, to televisions. I mean, they still have the largest white good manufacturing plants in the world. I'd love to find an old picture from when I did a study tour down there. But Jace stood up the top of a hill in the morning and looked down on this uh, valley of, of factories as far as you could see. And in military form out the front, there was literally these these sort of uh, you know military ranks of different colours, pink, uh, orange, you know, yellow, and they'd all stand out the front until they went in in the morning. They'd get their little pep talk and boom, they would go in and they would go to work and it was as far as the eye could see. It was it, absolutely you know, it, incredible. It, it reminds me uh, only four or five years ago I did a trip uh, over to uh, Shenzhou uh, and uh, – I was doing it with my son. We were going to buy some some um, some things that he could sell online, and we were going to import them. I was I was uh, I was hanging out with him, and he, he wanted to sort of make some money online. He did really well. Actually, he made many thousands of dollars, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, he, 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 he was kind of, he was the richest kid at school. He, he had so much cash; it wasn't funny. I, I'll, I'll try and find a photo. Actually, it, it's hilarious. Um, but. Um, Absolutely, we went to this this location where, where as far as the eye could see, there were six story buildings, and they were all of the, um, all of the the wholesale vendors. And you just walked. We were there for five days, and we didn't get anywhere, like not even near seeing everything that we could see. And the vast scale of this stuff. This is the interesting thing. You know what? I think I think many of us. And if we if we actually want to be good investors, Andy, uh, I believe we should leave our own shores from time to time and go and have a look mm. at the world and mm. look at the scale because Australia is a is so small in comparison to right. India, China, America. Those three places I love in from a scale point of view. You just it blows your mind. And you go, holy moly, right? It just and uh, because you've got no reference, right? Like right <laughs> now, if you've never seen something like that, you just don't have a reference. You can listen to the story, but you just don't get it. And uh, I, I actually think that'd be kind of cool, Andy. Why don't you and I? Why don't you and I run a couple of tours in the coming years um, to a couple of these economic centres and just go. And have some fun and talk about scale and and finance and money in these places. I think that would be a mind blowing experience for people. Like just you know expand the world of our our versions, our versions of the world. I think that'd be kind of cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a note on that one. I think we should do that. But uh, sorry, mate, well, jumped in. It just reminded me of that stuff. You know, it's crazy. Well, we, you know, we were talking uh, pre pandemic about going over to Japan to explore you know, what has happened on the ground of a country that's had zero interest rates for many years and even yeah. around zero. So it yeah. makes sense to get down uh, down and dirty and get your hands dirty and actually hear what the street fighters on the ground have been doing, you know, the businesses, how they've survived and what's been going on. Totally. Uh, well, quite a wisdom live from China. Well, funny you should say that, Jeff, because a, a little story about China. Uh, we went over there for a study tour, or we used to go over for a lot of study tours, actually. It was uh, probably about close to 10 years ago from, from now, and we used to take a number of advisors out out there, about 30 or 40 of them every year, to, to see these factories. And uh, so let me, let me ask you this, Jace. Are you, are, you, are you brand sensitive? Like when it comes to a, 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 an LC, a, a, I was about to say an LCD, I don't even know what they're called. So clearly I, I'm not that great with the technology on that side of the, the, the equation. But are you brand sensitive when it comes to your televisions? Is it, not is it to my television, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm absolute anything Apple Mac, you know, Apple. Um, you know, I've got a couple of brands that I absolutely love and then everything else is like whatever, you know, yeah. Mate, there, there were people who have been swearing black and blue and think that I'm a, a blue-ass liar about this, but absolutely no no word of a lie. We went to one of the largest uh, television manufacturing companies in the world, which was in Shanghai, and uh, we watched as these, uh, whatever it is, LCD, I think back then it was, uh, what was the funky one? Plasma. It was plasma back plasma, then. Plasma, yes. Yes, and the we LG plasma. 
we were watching yeah. the plasmas just running off. And, you know, first one would go to, you know, Hisense, second one would go to Sony, third one would go. And literally <laughs> you looked up there and all of the screens were getting packaged up in different boxes and they, they were all, it was all exactly the same screen, different yeah. componentry. And yeah. I know that the componentry makes uh, makes a difference, but it was massive, the, the, the scale of this. And the reason why I was telling the story is the reason why Wealth, Wine and Wisdom would go so well in Shanghai is one of my favourite things to do was to get back early from the tour and have a glass of wine at the top of the Royal Meridian that was there. And the Royal Meridian is the highest building on the on the the uh, the east side of the Bund, uh, which is a massive river where you just see coal going through that river. Like it's just a, a conga parade, night and day of coal, unbelievable near the Yangtze Dam complex, which is the largest hydro uh, hydroelectric uh, complex in the world. You can see it from space, massive, unbelievable. They actually relocated. I think it was one point five million people because uh, if they didn't, they'd be underwater. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was the biggest relocation from a from a dam in the world. Yep, yep. And the reason why I loved having a glass of wine is sunset because as the sun sets, you got this. Uh, I was facing east, but you got this reflection, and you would literally look from the top of that building, and you'd look to the horizon, and you're just looking at the top of high rises. Yeah. So yeah. imagine being in Melbourne and looking out to the Dandenongs, and everything is a high rise building. That is the size and scale of this place. You, 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 until you see it, you don't fully comprehend it. Like it, it really is something absolutely incredible, which sort of segues back into the, the final little piece I've got here. Uh, and uh, and this, is, um, this is interesting. So for all of you conspiracy theorists out there, all you... <laughs> Cool your jets because you're going to have a field day with this one, right? So, but remember, put yourself over in that corner, Andy. Well, the, I might just. Oh yeah, move. zoom in. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yep, yep. Might just move this in over here, right? So, uh, just just remember, there's a difference between data and intelligence, people. Right? So just be careful, careful what you do with this, with the conspiracy theories, because I know it's going to drive a couple of your bananas, right? But. Uh, I do find this really, really interesting, and this this relates back to the growth trend, right? China has had a faster recovery from the pandemic than virtually any other country uh, with fewer COVID deaths, and that's why I put over here, um, ground zero equals faster recovery and less, less deaths, which is quite staggering. Now, I'm not trying to draw mm. any conclusions here. I'm just asking questions. But if we have a look at the top left where you can see China, so you can see uh, 2020, uh, 2020 GDP, so gross domestic product, year-on-year -year growth yeah. versus pre-pandemic forecast, right? So versus what it was forecast to be. So China is leading just underneath, who would have thought Turkey was leading the race there? I'm, I've really got to figure out what's going on over in Turkey, mate, because I have wow. no idea. Yeah, yeah, let's Turkey, have a look at that. Turkey, but maybe there's something that we need to be looking at. But uh, South Korea, smashing it, Samsung, all of those sorts of things are, are, are core reasons why, uh, and also how quickly they got on top of the pandemic. But very, very interesting that, that China per capita, right, has had the least, by the looks of it, COVID deaths per million in population than anywhere else in the world, uh, which is quite staggering. And that's why I said that the conspiracy theorists are going to go mad with this. Uh, <laughs> but the old Australia, we're really, really holding our own. Like we are doing an extraordinary job uh, of managing our GDP growth. So year on year through the pandemic, we are literally in the top five in the world as far as our GDP growth year on year through the pandemic. And we've done it, obviously, by maintaining far less casualties uh, from COVID than uh, almost any other country in the world other than China, wow. uh, which I never thought that I'd be saying that statistic. I just found that quite incredible when I was reading that. Well, um, well, well, here's one for you, Andy. Sort of back, uh, it uh, it it uh, links into what you're saying there. You know, uh, we saw this on the weekend, and uh, shout out to Bernard Salt, Australia, um, in the top 15 countries uh, when it comes to production um, or GDP. But have a look at our um, have a look at our population. 
our population, every single one of those other populations are many tens, if not hundreds of millions more than ours. Mm. Um, and, and we're 14 in the world with a 20, what is it, 26, 27 million population right now. Australia punches well above, well above its weight per capita in the world. And um, it's an interesting one. We've got the, the ability and to invest in lifestyle and housing, which is, uh, which is uh, very, very interesting. So, mate, I think that uh, that's something that, uh, you know, we need to maybe, um, you know, keep an eye on together as we all move forward. Absolutely. And if you just whack uh, Diana's uh, comment up there as well, mate, I think that she's solved one of our questions there uh, about Turkey. <laughs> it must be the coffee. Uh, and I reckon you're, you're pretty much spot on the money there. It's uh, spot on, where, dead right. Where do we get it when we can't get it from South America? We go to we go to Turkey. But So the three things that I really take away from that, and the reason why I brought up China is that, look, I think that we need to be looking at, com- at countries like India. I think we need to be looking at countries like China uh, is a part of our overall investment philosophy and ethos because, you know, yeah. if there is a transition of power, and I'm not saying that there will be, but, you know, there's there's a possibility. We'd ha- it's on the cards. And power does transfer, you know, it always has. And it's gone to uh, the largest demographic, which is industrialised, right? And uh, and so over the time it's gone from the Roman Empire into the Anglo Empire to the American Empire, uh, and, um, you know, who knows where that new empire is going to be, but we certainly know that uh, from a demographics perspective, we can't take our eyes off India and there's extraordinary things going on over there with very, very public negotiations in and around vaccines, commercial arrangements, uh, repatriation of things from China uh, into Australia and then joint ventured with India. So there's a lot that's going on the the car on the cut with the cards geopolitically. And uh, I think that we really need to start to to take our focus abroad and start looking at more than just Australia and America. And that's sort of the key theme that uh, that I wanted to drag out of that. And also just to keep the conspiracy theories down. <laughs> That'll be, I'll sink their teeth into that one, Andy, that's for sure. Yeah. It's uh, I love that one. What was it? Um you know, uh, there's a difference between knowledge and information, right? You know, so there's information and there, you have to make some rational um, evidence-based connections between information <laughs> which actually turn it into knowledge. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. So that's great, mate. Thank you. And listen, uh, over in my neck of the woods, what's in the news, uh, you know, it's a bit of a uh, a bit of a, Bit of an interesting, fun show in uh, in the world of real estate. We've got uh, a lot of positivity going on, and um, you know I've got some um, some stuff that uh, I think uh, many people who are already owning real estate would be uh, very happy to hear. That uh, which is you know in the last few months nothing new to hear, but uh, property prices increasing in March. You know, the average Aussie, if they owned a house anywhere pretty well across Australia, uh, got a little bit richer uh, when it comes to their equity. And uh, the big winners are Sydney and Melbourne, you know, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide and, uh, you know, daily increases. We did this math today. We're talking about, you know, if you own some properties across a little bit of a broad portfolio, you pretty you did all right. You did all right in in. Uh, in March, you know, um, you know, you know, seventy odd thousand dollars if you had your portfolio set in one month, and uh, that's kind of nice. You know, it's a kind of a headline. It's a sticker. It's a bumper. You know, it's a bumper sticker. That one. Uh, you know, the, the month I made seventy thousand dollars from my property portfolio doesn't happen every month, but uh, for those who are receiving that right now and have followed a little bit of a strategy and a bit of a plan. That's fantastic and and uh, well done. My thing about that in the news, and I keep saying it, Andy, is that uh, uh, you know, for investors, we got to make sure everything we do is part of our long term plan, not short term hysteria. Uh, and uh, that I think is what is driving the market a little bit right now. There was a quote go around saying, you know, are we heading towards a new toilet paper shortage? And I'm going to give uh, everyone in the chat right now a bit of a chance. What is the new toilet paper shortage when it comes to being a property investor, gang? 
um, you know, uh, maybe out there and about what uh, what might be in vast shortage in Australia right now, and it might even actually push the toilet paper shortage too when I think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about it in a minute, but uh, it's not toilet paper, but it's something else that uh, we all need certainly around property, um, gang, as we go along. So we've got uh, a bit of a question from Julie here. The mass exodus from the cities to the regions are pushing up the prices. Yeah, it's hard to get a house at the moment. You're dead right, Julie. And um, certainly certainly, what's going on, Julie, is that uh, that people are, are seeking uh, a lifestyle change. And uh, to be honest, the regionals aren't that much cheaper than the cities. And it's quite interesting. I've said this already. I, I did a Facebook Live on it the other day. Uh, it's my call, Julie, that I, I believe that uh, – more than 50% of those people who leave and go to those regionals will be back within two to three years. Uh, I've lived in a small town and it's an acquired taste. Um, uh, if if uh, if you are exiting a bigger city, living in a smaller town is certainly an acquired taste. But uh, that's my and, call anyway. <laughs> and, Jace, there's, there's actually one more stat there that uh, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, uh, went to uh, – uh, a major investment day with some of the the top commercial real estate companies in Australia and uh, and some of the leading stats makers in Australia, yeah. and uh, we were talking about uh, this from an office perspective, uh, but it's also true not just of an office but of the surrounding areas in the city. And one of the things that they said is that when, so let me ask you this: when what comes online will flock. To uh, to cities rather than rural areas. So, what is it that when it comes back online will flock to cities rather than more suburban areas? And at the moment, it's offline. It's completely offline, uh, and it's not open. And you talk about it as the next wave of scarcity that's going to come through when it all opens back up. And it's immigration. Uh, so the yeah. statistics in and around immigration are, are off the charts because people uh, migrate to cities. Why do they migrate to cities? Because they, they have to create networks and it's a lot more difficult to create instantaneous networks when you have got greater uh, gaps. That's great. Whoever the Facebook user is there, immigrants, absolutely right. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and, but they've got to be able to connect. Right? They've got to be able to just go down a level, go across the road and be able to connect with Jason and, and his, his network. And, uh, and it goes back to one of the comments that we, uh, we, we sort of put out there uh, in Wine and Wisdom about six months ago in that some of the leading uh, stats uh, and some of the, the greatest brains in property are actually predicting that, uh, you know, yes, there will be a short-term result in this, but they're doubling down on their, on their major cities because, yes, they had the plague in the Roman days. Yes, they had various, you know, Spanish flus and so on and so forth. And people kept on coming back to cities because innately, and maybe it's a generational thing. After our generation, maybe the digital age will allow us to not want to be in proximity, but people love to be in proximity of other people. And there's some more neurological stuff that uh, that actually backs this data up as well. That goes to dopamine and uh, and um, uh, serotonin and uh, all of the the beautiful love drugs other, are that are yeah. yeah well I mean literally and and I actually think uh, I I actually hope uh, a bunch of people will stay in those cities those regional cities to be honest Julie because uh, because those cities need bolstering the Australian the Australian cities and certainly the country cities I believe uh, are fabulous places and uh, I believe it'd be great to stop the the drain of people coming from those to the city and 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 spread it around a bit but you know Andy mentioned this we we had the bit of a heads up on the weekend like uh, like we said before um, it is on the hit list for the government for you know in 2022 and 2023 for over 300,000 new immigrants to come into the country and they will enter two places as a predominant entry point, uh, Andy. And what are the two places that people will enter um, predominantly? The two most um, um, entered cities in Australia are Melbourne and Sydney. That's where people immigrate to. 
And sometimes they flow out from there, but that is where the, the majority of those people will land when it comes to that type of um, immigration. So certainly we'll see some pressures, some, some things pushing along when it comes to, to these sorts of stuff uh, as well, you know, uh, as we go along. So quick, um, quick tidbit on that, mate, uh, is that uh, it may be a little bit of an interesting anecdote is that uh, – uh, some of the most powerful and uh, wealthy people in Australia were betting on uh, betting on the places of entry to Australia being Darwin and Broome many years ago, and hence the massive amount of money that they spent in actually developing Broome and and those areas up there. Yeah. Uh, now, with the, the the fact that <laughs> that COVID probably is almost non-existent in those places, and they're doing the best at shipping people into the quarantine areas, and maybe even. Uh, some of the islands off Australia, it might be that it just took them 100 years to be right and they might end up being the new entry points to Australia just by default. But 100% right. People come and migrate to cities because that is where they can create the community or they can connect with the communities and then it's, it's far easy for them to, you know, they find their way uh, in life rather than us who have been here a long time and, and have our, our foothold and we're quite happy to be able to go out to the communities because we already have our community of, uh, of people in our lives. Yeah. Well, listen, um, and for those listening in, there's a little bit of a, a hidden gem in this one when it comes to the migration process. Uh, there is a regional visa, regional, uh, and there is like main city visas, and the government has changed the regional visas or changed the cities that, qualify for regional visas to places like the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast and larger cities very close to major capital cities. So, gang, you know, I'm a big fan. If you're going to go a little bit regional, don't go, you know, nowheresville. I, I think that that is that is not clever. I think that's short term. Uh, but places like the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast or other feeder cities around the major cities within an hour or maximum two hours of the cities, they're not too bad. They're not too bad. I still would buy closer to the major cities if my budget allows. But to be honest, I live in the Gold Coast and it's cheaper to buy in Brisbane than it is in the Gold Coast. It's insane right now to buy in the Gold Coast. But anyway, but Robin's pretty close. Robin is pretty close to the answer. Tradies. And uh, she's got, uh, she's got, uh, she's almost there. Yep, almost there when it comes to what is the challenge? What's the problem when it comes well, to. If it's not trade, what would it be? What would it be? Well, are we? Uh, well, I think we need to put everyone out of their misery, uh, Andy. Um, <laughs> we, we we haven't got all night for this one, <laughs> but let's uh, let's have a quick look, gang. Uh, check this out. Check this out. And uh, we've been getting some uh, alerts from our uh, our providers when it comes to the world of property construction. And uh, I was sort of doing some research and finding out what's going on. The not only is Australia having a like an insane boom, but America right now is having a boom, a construction boom. They have gone from nine hundred thousand uh, properties per annum, and they now have a one point seven million um, uh, property housing start. So, which is now. Are soaking up all the timber, and sadly, unfortunately, in Australia, we have had um, some pretty average bushfires, which have wiped out a significant amount of our forest and our timber production. And um, so, that is certainly, um, certainly, restricting Australia right now. And also, we've had a massive boom in home builder applications in Australia: seventy-five thousand applications which is artificially and short-term, which I think is great, which um, ultimately ends up uh, where Robin was was suggesting, in the tradie shortage, Robin, because tradies are now actually putting their prices up also uh, around the country. So these conditions are going to... Uh, I think, provide a perfect storm in the very near future when it comes to the cost of our construction industry. And there is no, there's not, we're not going to stop this. 
there's a land shortage because a bunch of the team said, you know, develop land. Bradley said develop land, um, and you were you were pretty close, Bradley. Um, but uh, it's timber right now that is in absolute shortage and probably uh, around the world actually going to be in shortage if it's consumed by the likes of America and, and others. So, but that brought up a question, Andy, that brought up a question for me, and you and I chatted about this a little bit uh, earlier in the week. Gang, tell me, if we've got a shortage in timber, not only is that good for us in um, in our world of property because, well, no, good, good if you're on the right side of the ledger, I suppose, um, when it comes to – there's Trina. Hey, Trina. Oh, Trina. Well, just hey. just while you're back on, Trina uh, – We've both got the Bethany. Uh, for those of you who didn't hear the intro, uh, Trina and Brett Thompson, thank you very much for our lovely uh, Bethany, rather, not Bellany, Bethany. Uh, I've got the Grenache. Uh, Jason's got the uh, got the Shiraz over there, and, uh, mate, it's a beautiful drop. Thank you so much. Uh, these guys are from Vineyard Mates uh, who help uh, vineyards throughout the Barossa Valley uh, grow incredible fruit that uh, that we we absolutely enjoy. So we love the fruits of your labour and appreciate uh, the the wine very very much, guys. Try a good old Bethany out. Uh, it's uh, it, it is actually a real cracking jump, a drop. It's I nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice, the Shiraz. Love it. You're so, drinking out of a plastic cup again, aren't you, mate? I am drinking out of a plastic cup. Andy gets quite offended, gang. Um, because my, uh, I'm a bit of a heathen when it comes to wine. Uh, Andy has got a much more sophisticated palate than I. I do like a drink of wine, but I think beyond sort of twenty or thirty dollars for a bottle of wine is probably wasted on my palate. But uh, I'm more than happy to enjoy it because Andy enjoys it. That's for sure. So he's uh, he's a bit more sophisticated than I. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I'm taking I'm taking this jacket off. It's <laughs> his jacket. Look at him. He's looking flash today. He's looking flash yeah, I today. Trying, I was trying to actually be a little bit more a uh, little bit more upmarket, <laughs> but it really doesn't suit me, does it? <laughs> uh, thanks, Trina. Uh, they really appreciate. Oh, I hope press the wrong button. Bradley's going shocking. <laughs> <laughs> nice and timely, actually, as well. <laughs> uh, well, listen, we've got a we've got a timber shortage. Uh, so on the flip side, gang. You know, on the flip side, Andy and I, and you train your brain. If you're an investor, you're like, yeah, okay, mm. is there a problem? And every mm. problem, there could be an opportunity. What is the opportunity on the other side of a timber shortage? Yeah, um, I mean, this this is the Newton's law, right, is, uh, you know, the fruit grows on the trees, but what happens when the fruit gets ripe? It falls from the mm. trees. And what's the benefit of it falling from the trees? We can eat the fruit. Yes, it yeah. stopped growing, but the benefit is we can consume it. And that's where, where some of the theories sort of came from as every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, the third law, as it sits there, there's some there's some classic comments coming through. Thank you, gang. Uh, hard to concentrate on being serious with uh, with so many clowns around, which is awesome. We love it as well because we're scallywags. Uh, but uh, yes, and Jeff's uh, bounced in just in time here. Whack that one up. Uh, Jeff nailed it. Yep. Yep. That pardon the pun. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you should have said Jeff screwed it probably rather than nailed it. Um, but yes, mate. I look. One of my my predictions in and around here uh, is uh, it, you get timber shares, maybe. But uh, but blue scope steel. So there's been a big trend to to steel and blue scope steel buildings. Uh, certainly down my neck of the woods in Victoria here because of termites in certain country regions. And uh, now when I go through various different estates, I see more and more of that bright blue steel. And what a great billboard it is because it looks like this just kind of space-age Meccano set that's uh, in construction. And so when you see adversity in one area or a lack of uh, supply in one area, you have to go, well, things aren't going to stop, they're going to innovate. And that's what happens in life. Uh, when something runs out, we innovate to replace it. Just look at the matrix, which is the, the best future prediction of either where we are right now or where we're going into the future. So we'll be eating, you know, food that looks like snot, but it'll have all of the appropriate amino acids. Uh, stick with the stick with the steel, Andy. Stick with the steel. <laughs> so a natural progression is going to be if you can't actually acquire these things, then it and and builders can't just go from 
being timber-based to steel-based. So yeah, this is going to be a really, really interesting thing to watch. And so if I was to, to put a bit of a prediction down there, companies like JG King might, might just blow up. You know, these companies that have been fabricating uh, houses out of blue scope steel, if we do end up with a prolonged timber shortage, and, and let's, let's be real about this, it takes 10 to, to, to 15 years really to replace this once it's gone. It's not a quick fix. And uh, so I'd be watching these companies that uh, that have been used to fabricating these and and looking at the supply dynamics and uh, and watching very very closely because people want things when Jace they want them uh, yesterday now. now yep yep absolutely and, and when it comes to owning your own home or you know constructing your home you know there's there's a there's a significant amount of FOMO in the market right now you know that that vibe that's going on everyone thinks they're going to miss out. So it's going to be very interesting, and and this is a little shout out to my crew, my my real estate investor crew. You know, you've got to make sure now in this in this moment in time, and we've seen it three or four times before, that when the market gets a gets gets a little bit mad, gets a little bit sort of heightened. Uh, certainly, you could put your deposit down on something to buy, but can that business deliver on the product? And this is never like this is the most important idea at this point in time in a in a property market. What will happen often is there will be people and developers and builders and other deliverers of pieces of the pie in the system that won't that won't go the distance because they don't understand how to work in a moving market. You know, bigger businesses ones that are smarter, that got have got better capital bases, those things, uh, they can manage the ups and downs in markets like this. Those businesses that are smaller and, and uh, living, you know, on the edge, they will be actually often um, disadvantaged in times like this. And especially, Andy, especially, which brings up my next piece of, um, you know, what's in the market and you and I were going to, um, you know, maybe wax a bit of lyrical on this one. Is is this right? <laughs> Don't even no. take me there yet. I've I've got about ten hours to spend on the previous topic, <laughs> but uh, this is a whole whole different. Let's go. All right. Well, we can come back to timber another time. This is amazing, people. If you haven't heard about this, Jace, what's going on over in uh, with Westpac and our uh, cousins over the ditch? Mate, they are in all sorts over there. You know, politically, you know, my opinion is I think they're, I think, well, I, I, I really respect the, um, the political leader, but uh, from a fundamental understanding of the property market, I think they're, they're uh, very short when it comes to, short-sighted when it comes to the decisions mm. they're making. You know, really at the end of the day, what's going on in New Zealand right now, and this could flow all around the world, to be honest, and this is actually a bit of a knock-on effect and it's one of the sort of these one percenters or half a percent that I've kind of got in my peripheral vision here. Westpac um, are now talking about maybe exiting New Zealand because New Zealand is changing the laws or looking to change the laws in New Zealand where they're going to enforce capital rules for banks in New Zealand over and above you know the the basics. They're they're going to have the toughest toughest capital requirements in the world. Such a small nation with the the toughest most capital requirements for a lending institution in the world. Now again, we could start some conspiracy theories here, here Andy, because maybe maybe just maybe New Zealand's going. Hey, we don't want Australia having any of their fangs in us. We want to get rid of these financial institutions in New Zealand because the Australian banks actually own and control 85%, 85% of New Zealand's banking system, you know. Um, so there could be something afoot here. But for me, for me, this is an absolute this – this could be one of those things where you pull the, the thread on the, on, the, on the jumper and it all comes apart because money is – Money has to work, and what's happening right now in Australia and New Zealand is there's not enough money available to go to work 
in the right way to develop enough properties. You know, I, I get passionate about this. You know, these stupid decisions by APRA, I think this is going to be a dumb, dumb as dog shit decision, you know, if it happens by the New Zealand government um, to to enforce the toughest capital laws in the world and then Westpac will like, right, we're out. They will then end up in a world of hurt because money won't want to go to that country. Money won't want to go to these places. It will go to somewhere else in the world and get a better return. And, uh, you know, we'll end up with shortages. And the only issue that, that what's going to happen is that this cost is going to pass on to the person who can afford it the least which is the person who rents the house. You know, the rich are going to get richer. You know, people who are involved in money and banking, they're going to, they're going to make a truck, truckload of cash. You know, the property owner, one who's got a property, they're going to make money. You and me are going to make money, Andy. But the person who's going to rent, they're going to have to foot the bill. 20 to 40% increase in rent in New Zealand, I believe, if they do something as dumb as this. But anyway, what, what's your thoughts, mate? Well, mate. First, first of all, I'm going to bring bring this up because uh, because straight straight off the bat, uh, we've been in the conspiracy theory world today, and uh, just because what we're about to go down is an absolute rabbit warren, uh, and just want to let you know that, that there's a difference between data, uh, which is up there wherever it is, it's up there. So, <laughs> difference between data, what we're about to share with you, uh, at knowledge, where you start to join the dots together in some sort of uh, informational type of perspective, then insights. Uh, and then once you learn what the insights look like, ultimately you can start to develop a little bit of wisdom. But if you go from data straight the way through to, uh, to, to drawing conclusions, then you're drawing unicorns in the, in the sky. And that's, <laughs> that's not what this is all about. Uh, the, but having said that, because I do want to provide the caveat, because one of, one of the things that I'll, I'll, I'll say is, uh, a possible reason for for their exit. Everyone's going to draw the natural conclusion. Would uh, Westpac satisfy their capital adequacy laws if they were to stay there? Now that that's a big question. So it'll be very interesting to see whether the other banks follow suit because one might assert that well, if you can't pass those laws, then you're better to get out before you publicly get uh, shown uh, what uh, where where your balance sheet is really at. And uh, with the with the current laws supposedly being repealed a little bit in Australia, and we tightened our capital adequacy laws some time ago, actually about two and a half years ago, uh, and then again about a year and a half ago, I think we did a double dip where we made the banks have more capital per dollar lent, uh, which is effectively what's happening over in New Zealand. But one would yeah. assert that, especially given what's happening, maybe. Maybe they're trying to avoid it, but let's also understand that property values have actually gone up. So, if anything, the the balance sheets of the banks are better than what they were at the beginning of COVID. Now, who who would have <laughs> thought that we would have been saying that right about this point in time that the balance sheets actually look better in the middle or towards hopefully the end of COVID than than uh, what they did beforehand. It's uh, it's certainly it's certainly one of those ones you were like, yeah, okay, maybe, but you know, it it. Uh, but when you dig into that that supply chain stuff, like I love I love that that fact metric when you when you have a bit of a look at the world of all right, well, how do we deliver, you know, a box, a home, a thing that people can live in, you know, there's five or six sort of very important parts to that puzzle. And uh, you can't you can't change those parts to the puzzle when it comes to the world of supplying real estate to a market like New Zealand or Australia. There's no there's no technology, there's no internet fix, there's no app that will ever change those five or six bits. You know, it might make it faster to lend, it might make it faster to buy, but physically you've got to live in a box unless we're already living in the matrix, Andy, and that's another. That's another chat for another discussion and probably a bottle of two or wine. <laughs> We're just living in a box hurtling through the galaxy at 28,000 kilometres an hour. <laughs> There's no such thing as control, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so it's an but, interesting one. You're dead right. You're dead right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, there, but look, there, this could also be a control on, on, on the economy because this is one area 
And and look, let's let's flip over and be a fan of, of policy for a moment and go, well, this is one area where they can actually intervene in a political way without directly intervening uh, in the commerciality to a degree of the operations of what's happening. So mm. they can ask banks to keep larger capital uh, per dollar lent, uh, but that's not the same as coming out and doing what they've already done and start to restrict on lending laws. So restricting on lending laws is actually, that's, that's kind of jumping into commerce uh, and it's jumping into the economics of the of, of Australia and and tweaking and turning on and off taps, which maybe should never have never be turned. If you know what I mean, you should have natural market forces to it to an extent. But this is oh, one way you. to control yeah. that that leverage. And and maybe they do want everybody out, Jace. Maybe they they want it to be NZ based, and maybe this is a way of being able to spur on their current banks and allow you know New Zealand money to 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 grow because. Ultimately, you know, 85%, what a great opportunity for their banking system to capitalise on low interest rates and and start to make a... When the government's going to be stimulating, you would prefer your your native banks to be converting that difference between a 0.1% interest rate and, uh, and 2.5%. So you'd prefer the banks of your country to be getting the lion's share of that. So the flip side, and this is where I say there's the difference between data, information, and then the, the, the pink and purple unicorn, because uh, there's very there's a lot of different ways of being able to slice and dice the, the thought process behind this. But I'm with you, mate. I, I think ultimately this is going to be a very, very negative thing for, uh, for New Zealand in the intent because all it'll do is is have the, the potential to really drive up property prices uh, and and potentially to a to a level where it's uh, you know it's just completely out of reach for your average average person over there. Yeah, and and I see that happening um, in New Zealand. Uh, I, I think the rents will lead before the property prices. You know, I mean, the property prices have been going absolutely mad in New Zealand. Certainly in Australia, we're starting to chase after that kind of momentum as well. Um, and we've got a supply issue, and um, you know, really, at the end of the day, well, that uh, becomes if- like a stock market, right? Because if rents go up, yield goes up, and if everybody's chasing yield, then you can justify a higher price for that yield, yeah. as long as uh, inflation and as long as interest rates remain in a reasonable position. Then, obviously, higher yields will actually convert to higher prices, so it can compound the problem. And when people yeah. and a few people dropped in property booms. Uh, uh, earlier, now these sorts of things, and I don't know about property, but when this dynamic happens in a share market, uh, and it's not exactly the same, but it can happen in a similar sort of fashion, that's when it, it drives super growth. And then super growth, then all of a sudden you end up in these periods of time where it is ridiculously overvalued, and then it course corrects extraordinarily quickly when that when that D day hits, because there's multiple things often synthetically created by governments and policy that yeah. all align in order to create super growth and then you do need to be very, very careful. Mate, completely agree. We And we see similar versions of that world and we've got echoes of it in mining booms and I believe there's a there's a flavour in it right now for this regional expansion, people leaving cities to go to the regional. I believe that's, that's temporary. I believe it's synthetic um, and uh, when people leave, you know, maybe the prices will stay the same, but I believe they would probably reduce because that economic power of that new person will leave those cities. There's no localised economic ability for those. There's no infrastructure. There's no hospitals. There's no employment hubs. There's, it's just because someone could leave, could, could leave the city with some money and move to somewhere where it was a little bit less expensive and they wanted to be there because of some sort of driven pandemic hysteria, whatever that might mean, mm. you know, not for real economic, you know, smart choices as like, oh, what if I get locked down again? You know, that's not a great way to, to value a, a, like a town or a price of a property or a, like a, you know, a localised economy like or, or analyse it. It's I, I think it's flawed. Unfortunately, I've experienced it a couple of times and, uh that's why I'm avoiding that type of hysteria right now. Well, here's some uh, here's some statistics made up virtually on the spot. Uh, no, no, they're they're actually going <laughs> around. So we we were listening to Bernard Salt, uh, one of the one of the top uh, media commentators in the finance world, Fin Review, 
uh, you know, nine uh, and um, very, very well respected uh, journalist in the in the in the finance space. His prediction, uh, based on the presentation uh, and my recollection, just so that I don't throw him under the bus, just in case I'm wrong, somewhere between seven and a half to ten percent. Uh, adjustment was what my recollection of his words were about how many people will continue to work from home environment. Now, yep. in my world, a lot of the statistics that I've seen has been between 15 and 20%. But so that basically every bit of data that I've seen is sub 20% from that perspective. Yeah. Now, yeah. when you take into consideration demographics and you take into consideration the rise of the of the the, the younger generation coming in and, and uh well, A, they don't leave home anyway, but when they do, <laughs> uh, they tend to flock towards St Kilda and the cities and, and places like that yep. uh, in order to be able to congregate rather than sitting in the suburbs. Uh, that is fast displaced, right? If you if you just line those two up, they can be very, very quickly displaced over a medium period of time. Yeah, yeah. It can be an immediate uh, re- reaction. <laughs> Sorry, staying at home, Facebook user. <laughs> <laughs> Work from home, question mark, love it. Uh, but so people think, oh, well, 20% is going out. But you've got to remember that there is still the people who are coming through into, into those economies. Uh, so, look, we, we need to take this with a bit of a grain of salt, I think. And, and when you take that lens to it, then all of a sudden you're kind of like, well, things aren't a lot different to what they were beforehand. There's just a lot of noise in between. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, Will it be a long-term thing? I, I, I personally don't think so. I think most of us will want the infrastructure, the coffee, the restaurants, that that things, those things we were we were used to, and though that that infrastructure is not going to change or move significantly. I mean, it can't. It's just too expensive to move it. So you know, uh, Robin Robin sort of did a bit of a a conversation here, a comment here. Which, which brings me to a quick point. It's actually a good time to exit, which Robin looks like she's doing, um, any of those regionals right now. Um, you know, if you know you could take your money from a sub, subpar location and, and, and transfer it to a, a quality location, it's not a bad time to think about that. Um, you know, I always say buy well, never sell. Uh, however, if you've got your money in a, in a, uh, in a place you, you you wish you didn't, it's m- probably a time to change it over and and uh, away we go. So, uh, you know, oh, mate, I echo that, mate. We're we're seeing uh, properties come back to points. Like literally, a conversation twelve months ago where we we're going, oh, how are we going to get rid of this in your portfolio? Uh, and and this, you know, this this is obviously not stuff that um, that I've been in, but uh, they've, they've sort of come across to me and they've gone, I've got all these properties. I'm like, oh god, that's 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 interesting and uh, not quite sure how to get out of it, and then all of a sudden they're in positive territory. I'm like, holy smoke, ejector seat, hit the ejector like, button, get it out. Big red button. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this, I think this is the info you were talking about, Andy, when it comes to, um, you know, this demographic information. Um, you know, we've got this large millennial, you know, growth or, you know, this sort of this 30 to... 40-something coming through our demographic world at the moment. So, you know, it's interesting to see that is the most powerful financial demographic right now. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do about it as we go into the future? It's going to be an interesting conversation and it's starting to show up right now when it comes to the world of consumption, the world of, uh, you know, comforts, the world of whatever it might be. You know, we've we've got to take that in consideration. So, I think uh, I think that one would be a good one actually to put a bit of a bit of shape around, maybe for the next one or two one of wisdoms to talk about those demographic lumps because I love them. I actually from there's some stats that I'm actually pretty fascinated by that uh, um, there's like sixty or seventy percent of small to medium sized business CEOs are going to transition from owning a business to selling a business in the next 10 years. And that's that's um, because of the age, that sort of 50 to 60 age demographic right now, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. So there's some great opportunities out there depending on where you're at and what you're up to. And uh, we love having a chat about it. But, gang, 
I think we've uh, we've had a good yarn today, mate. We didn't even get a chance to sink our teeth into any questions today, or we, we probably answered a couple of two on the way. But uh, I think we might call it uh, call it done and dusted. Another episode of Wine and Wisdom, Andy. Hundred percent, mate. But before we go, just remember that that demographic that you're uh, that you're showing, which is going to have the greatest impact on uh, on the e- economic. Uh, prosperity of the country going forward i'm pretty sure those were your words but i might have paraphrased them uh <laughs> what you should do is you should listen to people in that population the reason why mm. 42 to 43 uh i was born in 79 so that uh that makes me smack bang in those uh in the, in that demographic. so here <laughs> i feel like i'm saying i'm older than you andy <laughs> I, I, no, I just feel like i can represent for a change rather, rather than being the generation that time forgot but uh, it made a very interesting conversation. If we get into demographics too much more, we're going to sound like Harry Dent. Uh, and I know what you think of Dent, but, uh, but mate, I, I reckon we should delve a little bit deeper into it and see what we can uh, see what we can pull out. Yeah, Certainly, if you guys are interested throughout the week, uh, ladies and gents, please let us know if there's any questions that you have. Uh, look, we love your questions. Uh, they come far too thin through to us. Uh, and whether we don't get them here, you know, when you get on, just have them. It just have them in your little notepad, or have them on your iPhone, or whatever the case may be. When you think of them during the week, uh, because we, there's nothing more that we uh, like than actually interacting with you guys and, and potentially even getting you on. So let those uh, let those questions come to mind, and we'll do our very best to answer them as we uh, as we come online on Wednesdays. All right, Robin, enjoy your fish and chips. You've actually made me a little bit peckish now. I'm thinking uh, fish and chips myself. <laughs> Trina, really appreciate you. Uh, you guys hooking us up with a couple of bottles of wine. The old Bethany. Um, lots of love coming your way. Thank you. And Bethany, absolutely. And and cheers, Peter. Good. Thanks for the shout-out. Andy Fenton, we're down and dusted. Another wine of wisdom. Down and done. And uh, my friend, well, I think it's good night from uh, Jason Fenton. <laughs> and it's good night from Andy Whitten right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great one, gang. Join us next week, Wednesday, around about the same time for another Wine and Wisdom. All right, adios. Adios.